This week on the Backtable Podcast. Putting on a headset, and I say it for anybody. Yeah. Get you get a friend's Oculus or whatever. Right. Put it on, you'll understand the the power that that three dimensionality gives you. I yeah. think a lot of for a lot of Americans, it was an introduction using uh, the yeah. Go Pokemon, uh, Pokemon Go, Go or yeah. whatever where they there's saw. An, there's oh, an yeah. Nintendo oh, wow. game. It, it that, suddenly yeah, it suddenly kind of puts it into your mind of. It's one thing to hear about it. It's another thing to actually see it, that you are actually in a three-dimensional space interacting with something yeah. that's not in the real world. And just like people now are doing this in in a way in a virtual space with ChatGTP, to see that you can actually interact with this kind of like knowledge base that somehow is coming up with something that feels very human. Yeah. And these things feel very real. Even yeah. though they're not real, they're virtual. They feel very real in the, in the, in the real space that we're you know, listening in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. Now, a brief message from our sponsor. Take an easier way in with the Ellipsis Vascular Access System. Learn more about their minimally invasive option for AV fistula creation, how it could benefit your patients, and important risk information at medtronic.com slash ellipsis. For more than a decade, Reflow Medical has designed and engineered medical devices that respond to unmet clinical needs. The Wingman Crossing Catheter with its unique extendable beveled tip and an expanded indication for CTOs. The Specs LP, created to meet the need for a low-profile version of the Specs shapeable support catheter. And the new line of core catheters, that answers the call for a suite of effective tools to use in challenging PCI procedures. Now, back to the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Backtable. We're at SIR in Phoenix. Uh, it's 2023. And we got Stephen Hunt back on the show. Um, been on, what, three or four times now? Yeah, it's thanks like for having me back. Seasoned veteran, yeah. yeah. My name is Stephen Hunt. I'm assistant professor from University of Pennsylvania and the co-director of the Penn Image Guided Interventions Lab, the Piggy Lab at Penn. <laughs> and then a couple of new guys, Skorov, Gadodia, which we met uh, in person in Paris a couple of months ago. That was a great, that was a nice surprise. Yeah, I'm Gorov Gadodia. Uh, I was a resident under Chuck at Cleveland Clinic. That's how I got involved in this. And uh, now I'm at VIR Chicago, uh, a prior practice in Chicago. And uh, is it Chuck or Charles? Chuck's fine. Yeah. Chuck's good. Okay. My name's uh, Chuck Martin. I'm one of the interventional radiology docs uh, at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, assistant professor. Yeah, we got to meet recently over the phone and um, first time meeting you. Tell me about how SIR has been so far, guys. I'm at, yeah, I mean, I always find it, first of all, you get to see all of the all the people that you've worked with over the years and and obviously meeting new people the the enthusiasm you get from all the trainees who come in and hear talks in the different sessions you know we've you know we've uh, uh my lab has a lot of a lot of uh talks this 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 sir and a lot of sessions and to hear all the people who are excited about the new technology the new research coming out um and uh i've gotten a lot of my pain practice and i know i was just on the show for that um, so going to some of uh, uh, David Prologo's sessions on pain has been good for me. So I don't know. It's been a, it's been a great great meeting so far. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's been excellent. To, you know, just catch up with uh, great friends and colleagues over the years, and uh, then just in general, just to see just the fantastic content. It's 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 been it's been a great uh, yeah great great conference so far. Yeah, and a great showing. I mean, I don't, I haven't been yeah. since Austin, so it's been good four years. It's been really impressive. I yeah. completely agree. Like how many people have have been here? It's been really nice to see like uh, the meetings back. The meetings yeah, back. In you person. always forget COVID yeah. even happened, right? right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's it's pretty wild if you think about it. Yeah. And, and, um, and Phoenix is a cool city. Phoenix and is a cool makes, city. 
Yeah. You know, that makes it even nicer. I went to undergrad at, uh, right down the street at ASU. Um, oh, nice. So it's my old stomping grounds, but uh, it's been 20 years since I've, I mean, it's unrecognizable. It's completely different from when I was here. Oh, wow. But anyway, so the, t- the topic today is augmented reality, a little bit of VR maybe as well. Um, we'll see what we get into, but uh, I got to try out, I got to do the simulation of uh, Mediview, um, which I was introduced to by, by Chuck, and uh, it just really neat technology. I didn't even know you guys were working on that. I didn't know anybody was working on that. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And so I want to kind of get into that, how you guys started working on that at, um, at Cleveland Clinic, how Garov got involved and also what's going on at Penn. Um, but can you guys give like, just for our audience, like an overview of the, you know, the augmented reality space right now? I'll start with you, Stephen. Sure. So you really are differentiating between a couple of different technologies. When we talk about this, um, you have virtual reality, which is essentially entirely in a virtual space. You think about a video game or something that you're in where yeah. you're not really looking at the, at the real world in any way. Right. Yeah. You have augmented reality um, where you're somewhere, you're mixing a little bit of virtual with the reality. So the, the um, you know, for example, mapping an image, a holographic image over a structure or something like that, that would be an augmented reality. And then you have mixed reality where if you think about, uh, what was the game that was out? The the Pokemon Go. Pokemon oh, Go, yeah. where you're actually, able to, yeah. you're actually able to interact with virtual objects, but that are overlaid onto the real space. So now it's not just a matter of mapping, you know, just simply projecting something unidirectionally, but you're actually right. interacting with it. And so all of those things have their own um, sort of benefits uh, and ways in which you can see them interacting in uh, in IR. So if you think about something early, like an education, right, just being able to go in and visualize the human body in 3D, manipulate that maybe uh, with your hands, but you don't need to be looking at the room around you to do that, right? You could basically be just completely in a headset, yeah. Virtually looking at a body, diving through it, learning anatomy, learning how to place a needle or, or trajectory of a needle. That's all the virtual space. Now you move it into actually looking at it on a patient. You can see how just overlaying the anatomy would allow you to have a better idea of the depth of a tumor, its relationship to surrounding critical structures, right? So now yeah. you're talking about, now what about if you could then manipulate those objects, like for example, a target and place it somewhere else. Okay, I'm going to place it on this blood vessel. Or I'm going to place it on this tumor or whatever. And so really being able to mix that. So that's where these technologies all have their various uh, you know, benefits and limitations and, and the need for developing the technology around that. And this has been done in a lot of other fields in surgery. Yeah. And it, of course, when you think about it, there's problems related to some of the structures that we work with, like re- respiratory motion and, and, uh, yeah. and cardiac motion, right? So soft tissue structures, there's, there's also the way that they change. We think about when we lay a patient in a CT scanner in a position, looks a little bit different than the pre-procedural CT, right? So how do you do that confirmational problems? Um, But in certain fields like in orthopedics or in neurosurgery, they've gotten around that because they work a lot with osseous-based structures that you can kind of map to. So so that's why I think IR has been a little bit behind. And it's also just that some fields have, you know, have have had the commercial space uh, move into that. Um, And vendor-wise, those are higher-paying procedures that they can afford to have navigation systems. You think about stealth navigation systems in neurosurgery, for example. Right. But those are examples of that in other spaces. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I always think about ortho when I think about VR, you know. Absolutely. I mean, that's really, you know, you'll look at Oso VR with Justin Broad. Um, We've had him on the show and and, and others. And it just seems like you're right. Like, they're, like, years ahead of where we were. But that's all changing because what I witnessed yesterday was in blew my mind, but I'll, I'll let you talk 
a little bit on that. No, that, 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 that's awesome. I mean, Justin and, and the Oso VR team have done some amazing work. Um, you know, I, I mean, AR uh, in healthcare in general, I mean, I think that orthopedics and neurosurgery are probably, you know, just as you mentioned, have, have, they've, they've kind of led the, led the space for a while. Yeah, I think uh, Stanford was doing some uh, uh, AR work with neurosurgery now for goodness, well over, I'd probably say comfortably, like just before the first HoloLens came out. So I'd probably say, you know, at least eight years, yeah. uh, eight years ago. Um, and, and that makes sense. I mean, you know, brain doesn't move, bone doesn't move. So um, just as Steven said, when you have, you know, data sets that you can then just kind of overlay and then, you know, kind of provide uh, uh, increased accuracy, increased information. So when you're doing these fine things, you're not moving around like we're all doing when you're, we're doing procedures. There's, there's a tremendous benefit to that. Um, you know, it's just nice that we're, we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, we're, we're catching up and hopefully we're going to get right by them, uh, you know, in a short period of time here. Yeah. Um, so it's, 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 it's interesting. I mean, for us, you know, things just kind of started, uh, we were just fortunate enough to have, uh, uh, there was, uh, actually colleagues of ours working, working, uh, with, with the headsets with a group of vascular surgeons. And, um, and that's how we actually had exposure to it, you know, in the beginning. Yeah. So when you saw that, like, how did it, what, what sparked it where for both of you guys, like, where you're like, I just got to get involved in this. Like, this is, I want to, I want to, you know, start researching this, be involved. And then we can kind of talk about, you know, how it developed into, you know, being part of MediView. I mean, for, for me, it was just, I'm like a, just a big old tech geek. And yeah. I've just, I've like, I've liked the technology for forever. And it was just a matter of, uh, uh, just figuring out how I can, you know, kind of, kind of apply it. And, um, I just, it was just real, real fortunate that one day, um, as I was kind of following technology, there was, uh, in our biomedical engineering department, they were giving a grand rounds, um, on using the technology, uh, with like the first version of HoloLens, uh, uh, for like vascular structures. Uh, there was a, there was a company that started out of, uh, out of the clinic. Um, and, uh, the, the researchers or the basic science researchers, they were the ones who had actually initially kind of started presenting that work. Um, it was super interesting, but, uh, after I finished the presentation, I just kind of, uh, went up to them, introduced myself and explained that, like, I, I think that this really needs to have a place in IR. Um, uh, and for better or for worse, they didn't exactly entirely know what interventional radiology was or, yeah. or, or, or how to, or whatever else. So, uh, we met a couple times, they had a couple phantoms. We just started kind of like, you know, just, you know, kind of playing around with the tech and, um, they kind of came down to our department, uh, just two buildings over and they kind of saw what, saw some of the work that I was doing and that just kind of started some conversations. And then, uh, goodness from there, uh, it just, it just kind of moved into us kind of formalizing things a little bit more, kind of putting together like a, a research project and, and then that just kind of rolled and we just kind of moved, uh, just kind of moved step by step after that into, you know, and into some, to some real, real good work that actually turned into like a project and a paper, then about patents and yeah and the company and development yeah. the, yeah, the company it's, it's it's been like kind of a wild uh, wild process yeah and we'll get into i want to get into like how you do that within an academic institution with with both of you guys because i know steven you've been involved in a number of startups but gaurav, gaurav how did you get involved with uh, augmented reality and and eventually many of you yeah a little bit of right place right time uh just <laughs> being working with chuck uh, i was a resident at cleveland clinic um kind of we would always nerd out about technology things because I did I did engineering in undergrad um, and we would just talk about different projects and different applications um, and one day he said hey why don't you come over to the lab uh, these guys these engineers over here are working some pretty cool things and I ended up spending I think 
and I think I didn't go back to my rotation that day. I'm pretty sure I spent the rest of the day in the lab just kind of talking to them. And that's kind of the power of what this has. We were just talking, um, you know, we just had a session on this at SIR and it's how, and I think you said it, Stephen, it's how sticky this is. It's, you yeah. know, you, as a resident, as a med student, you just get engrossed in it um, and can see how, uh, what the applications and the benefits are. So kind of went from there and just uh, started working on the research side of it. And uh, since then have kind of kept seeing how I can help um, anything small to big from research to just providing a, some feedback to the team as it's evolved from a research team to, to a company. Yeah. Yeah. And from our, from our perspective, so obviously we've, we've had this, the Penn Image Guided Inventions Lab, or, or, you know, the research lab that we have at Penn. Um, I would say that our involvement in this was very nonlinear, but uh, Brian Park, who's now faculty over at OHSU, yeah. was a resident with us and was very, very um, interested in passion. He has an engineering background. He knows how to code. He knows how to kind of string together a lot of this. But there was a lot of interest from our part on a couple of things. One is remote education. So I do a lot of yeah. global health work, right? Right. And so how would you best be able to teach people? And I, and I had known about the surgical and I know a couple of surgeon friends who do remote education using HoloLens or using uh, Google Glass back in the Google Glass days. Um, and so I, that was this, you know, how can we do that? There was that piece of it, right? Um, and then in terms of pre-procedural planning, we have all these uh, animal models of disease. So we have a rat model, for example, of chemobilization. And it was like, you know, if we could just really be able to visualize the structures better. And these are very, very Small. tiny little yeah. MRs, right, of these yeah. rats. Um, but if you could, if you had a better visualization, because when you position the rat, kind of where is that tumor relative to other tumors? Because you're yeah. trying to do some segmental embolization. So we had a lot of ideas about this, but till Brian came along and then his passion was around developing these tools in the ARVR space and applying that to kind of questions that we had, we didn't really have a way of addressing them. Yeah. Then when we actually started playing with it, putting on a headset, and I say it for anybody, yeah, get you get a friend's Oculus or whatever, right? put it on, you'll understand the, the power that that three-dimensionality gives you. I yeah. think a lot of, for a lot of Americans, it was the introduction using uh, the yeah. Go, Pokemon, uh, Pokemon Go. Go or yeah. whatever, yeah. where they there's saw, an, there's oh, an Nintendo oh wow, game it, it that, suddenly, yeah, it suddenly kind of puts it into your mind of, it's one thing to hear about it. It's another thing to actually see it, that you are actually in a three-dimensional space interacting with something yeah. that's not in the real world. Right. Um, and um, and just like people now are doing this in in a way in a virtual space with chat GTP to see that you can actually interact with this kind of like knowledge base that somehow is coming up with something that feels very human. Yeah. And these things feel very real, even yeah. though they're not real, they're virtual. They feel very real in the in the in the real space that we're you know lis listening in. Yeah. So when you're working with animals and and the mice, I mean, how does, let's talk about resolution, right? And like the the evolution of this technology, because you know I have an, an Oculus, and it seems like every couple of years they update it and everything. Um, you know, I I really want to see the headsets evolve to where they're like eyeglasses, like what you're wearing, Chuck. It would you know that'd be amazing. Um, but just in terms of resolution with with the animal models, it, how was it? Did it did it seem cumbersome? Was it like not ideal or? So we were using it in that in that particular set of experiments. Yeah. Um, you're using you're wearing it for just a few minutes before you even start the case. The point okay. was to get an idea of the three dimensionality of of tumors because these are multiple tumors in the in the liver of these rats. Yeah. To get an idea of you know you have a target tumor that you're going to be going and embolizing. Get an idea of its relation in space in a three dimensional way versus yeah. just looking on you know axial or sagittal or coronal uh, MR. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the same thing for when we're looking at um, some of our interprocedural cases where, you know, you can, of course, do uh, coronal, axial, and sagittal CT reconstructions. We have that, right? That's just yeah. like everybody has access to that. But fundamentally, and it's hard to 
to quantify that. But fundamentally, you have a much better relation relational database in your mind when you can look at a 3D model of it. Yeah. And so this has been studied, obviously, with the printed 3D models. And now it's moving into that holographic space where, again, you can manipulate it. Yeah. And what's so cool about the holographic space, of course, is that you can then add in layers and peel them off electronically as, you know, in the blink yeah. of an eye, right? Yeah, Instantaneously, yeah. you can add in the muscles, do subtract the muscles, right. add in the bones, subtract the bones. All with the, voice recognition. You can so do yeah, it with voice amazing. recognition, yeah. things like that. And so um, so even though you're looking at little tiny structures in the rat, you could blow it up with your hands, oh, look okay. at those relationships um, to, to other structures in the rat, you could say, okay, look, if I, if I position, if I'm looking at the screen now of what I'm seeing on my angiogram, if I turn the hologram a little bit this way, now I know, now I realize what I'm actually looking at from a, pro, from a projectional space. Right. And I think that that's where a lot of the vendors will, will end up like Phillips and stuff is that yeah. you can take what you're looking at on 2d angiographic thing and automatically, and you've already make have 3D. tools like that, right. make the 3d overlay. So you're like, okay, I yeah. know exactly where I am. Yeah. Make a PTC much easier. Right. Yep. Entirely. That, I mean, yeah. that's, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, I think that's the way, I mean, I'd struggle with this day with just that or in, you know, yeah, trying I mean, to visualize spatial relationships. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's what kind of blew me away was that, um, that, that overlay, right. Over the body and what you were, you have your ultrasound probe and you're able to see exactly, you know, the imaging overlaying the body. Um, so can you guys just give like, we kind of went through the history of AR up to today. Can you give a, brief description of like many of you and any other companies out there that are similar or they're doing the same thing, you know, what are the capabilities now? And then what are we going to see in the next, you know, two to five years? Uh, well, yeah, I guess there's, there, there's a lot there. Um, so, yeah, you know, kind of getting back to your first point though, um, you know, that, that three dimensionality, that is, that is huge. I think that's one of like, I, I think, I don't want to say the biggest selling points, but I think it's one of my biggest attractions to, to the technology. I mean, I know we've, you know, both have talked about this in the past that like, uh, um, you kind of take it for granted as, as radiologists, we, we, we do this in our head without even thinking we take these, you know, complex, you know, three dimensional or you know, working with patients. We're looking at a two dimensional image. That's really kind of of a three dimensional object. We kind of convert it in our head and then just kind of put needles into things. Yeah. And, and right. that's just, and that's, that is just automatic. And, and it's, it's been like a learned yeah. process for us. Right. And, you know, the, using, using AR has been really, really nice because it, it kind of brings that three dimensionality back, but it puts it right in front of you. And, um, you know, truly one of my favorite things about the technology is when, uh, you know, we put the headset on a trainee for the first time and they just get it, you know, especially when like you have these images that are just registered to the patient. Um, there's just this moment that it just kind of, it, it, it makes things so much easier. It, like you just understand spatial relationships. It just, yeah, you know, like yeah. you, the, the, you see the smile crack across their face and you're just like, all right, you know, they're, I'm, they're in, in a they're way, in. in a way you are moving from right now. What we do is we take the real world. We, we, you know, digitally encode it. And then we project it in these things that as radiologists we've learned. And as medical students, we learn the anatomy. And we're able to then kind of reconstruct from two-dimensional pictures an in image our in our mind, yeah, right? Right. You take a trainee, an undergrad or an early med student, right? You are now moving them closer to a picture that looks like reality, right? Yeah, and so in yeah. that sense, it's it's a lot less of the reconstruction that their brain has to do. Right. Now, they, right. you can then over time, it's not, it isn't that they aren't eventually going to learn how to do the same thing with the 2D and 3D things, but it allows for a lot more accuracy at the beginning of where they are. Yeah. The other thing is, is that we don't realize... Even today, I think a lot of people take for granted, let's say you're doing a CT-guided biopsy uh, of, a, of a liver dome tumor, right? Yeah. 
there's all the respiratory motion that's happening. The diaphragm's moving up down. There's cardiac motion, depending if you're on the left side, right? Yeah. And then we're, we're only actually taking pictures. It's not really real time. I mean, even with CT floral, you're stepping on it, you're moving, you're stepping on it, you're moving, whatever, yeah. right? Um, what you actually have the capability of doing, now this is looking ahead, is that if you're actually doing it within the augmented reality space, it can be modeling respiratory motion. Yeah, In fact, syncing right. it to the patient's breathing. Yeah. And as you're advancing your needle, you're not seeing what the last picture looked like. It's it's deforming it and mm -hmm. saying, hey, you're, right. you know. And so there's actually a capability of overcoming barriers that we don't even realize we're overcoming. I and mean, what we do is when we get real close, we're like <laughs> nudging the thing along, right? <laughs> yeah. The needle. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes, you know, you do that scan. It's like, up, oh, got through the diaphragm, popped the guy's lung, you got a pneumothorax, you know, those right. kind of things happen all the time. Yeah. Because we are, we've learned how to adapt to the fact that we're not really working with real-time information, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. we think we are, but it's not really. And right. even with ultrasound, there's there's a piece there where if you can have, again, knowledge or ga gating to the respiratory cycle, to the cardiac cycle and stuff, right. you can allow for a safer procedure or yeah. a more accurate procedure. And so, um, and in particular with ultrasound, you have the problem of sometimes conspicuity, right? Just, just is the tumor edge going to be as well visualized yeah. or- are you seeing with ultrasound maybe the vessels causing shadowing and so that's, you know, or some other structures causing shadowing right. and you're not seeing the back end of the tumor or when you start gassing it out, in this case of an ablation, you know, a thermal ablation, yeah. now you're not able to really see what's there. And right. yet, if you had a virtual picture there that was being projected, you can you can better have an idea in the real time. So, the, so many of the things that we count as drawbacks, many people talk about in the virtual space of, well, how are you gonna account for restraint motion? How are you gonna count? Right. Those things, people are working on those problems, Yeah. but also we, have those same problems in the real world. We just yeah. don't realize that we're dealing with them. Yeah. Um, do you, Garb, like, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, so we, I kind of what your question was about, you know, where we are at and where we're going. Um, you know, you asked this question earlier in the panel and I kind of want to put it to both of you guys as two of the leaders of the space, you know, where, of what, where we are right now with the, you know, with, whether it's MetaView, whether it's the things working on Pen, what, where do you think is, the highest growth potential? Like what is the next, where are we right now and what's the thing you're most excited about right now and what's kind of that next step that you think is really going to take it over the edge from a technological standpoint? Obviously there's the regulatory standpoint, all that, but we can talk about that later. But what do you think we're, what do you think is on the horizon or what are you most excited about? Um, you know, I, I think that we're at the very early stages of where this technology is, can be used, uh, how it's going to be applied. Um, I, I mean, there's there are, there are so many uses for it. I, I just think that uh, you know what we're doing right now is scratching the surface and in, 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 in kind of how it's being used. You know, I, I know that there are some people, you know, certainly on the company side, that get worried when you have you know big companies like Apple, Google, Facebook, whatever else, kind of getting into the space. But I actually, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I mean, you know, more than anything else, I mean, Apple, you know, Apple as a company, they know how to kind of normalize, you know, really intricate technology and make it like with a really smooth user interface and yeah. uh make it sexy yeah, yeah they really do <laughs> i mean and and it'll be one of those things where you know uh, you know i think about a year and a half i think 2024 early 2024 they'll have their you know like a headset out and even as many people right now are talking about like augmented and virtual reality i think that number is going to probably quintuple you know it'll just become a little bit more like closer to like just you know in in, in our lexicon yeah. So, uh, you know, instead of us kind of referencing like Pokemon Go or whatever else, right. everybody's going to have like, yeah. Clinical references. There's, yeah. there's going to be like a lot more like very, very tangible references that people will be able to use. And I think that's going to, I think that's just going to take, I think the technology in a, in a completely different way. 
And the other part of it is it'll also just kind of normalize it around, uh, around the hospital. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I, I show my patients before I use the technology. I mean, as, as you know, um, a lot of times, uh, it's, it's a, it's a great opportunity to just kind of, uh, bond with patients and just have like a enhance a patient experience before I do a procedure when I'm using the HoloLens, I'll, I'll put them in it and, um, you know, just kind of just put the headset on them and, you know, just kind of show them, you know, all right, this is your liver. This is, you know, this is where the tumor is, or this is your kidney. This is where the tumor is. And, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to take a needle and it's going to go from here. And we have to, you know, kind of, we're getting past this artery right here and we're moving here and, you know, we're going to, you know, put the needle in and then, you know, this is what the ice ball looks like and it kills the whole tumor. And yeah, and that's that. And, you know, I, I consider myself pretty decent at like describing procedures to patients and getting like the appropriate level of informed consent and everything. But yeah. inevitably, as soon as you put them in that experience, you know, the number of questions like just go, go up through the roof. They're like, wow, this is, you know, this is crazy. Like, thank you so much. And, you know, what about, and, and it, it, I think it enhances the patient engagement. Yeah. So I think that there's going to be things on the, on the, on the short term, you know, just like we kind of talked about today in this session, whether it's education, patient engagement, things like that. There, I think that there are things that are going to be on the, uh, you know, slightly longer term, um, you know, using the technology for pre-procedural assessment, um, uh, tumor tracking, uh, navigation, um, uh, ablation confirmation, uh, w whether, you know, no matter whatever thermal modality, those are going to be, I think probably the early wins, just because I think in this current healthcare regulatory environment, those are the easy things to do. Yeah. And then I think, uh, you know, longer term, you know, we'll start actually kind of being able to, you know, kind of coupling it with, uh, you know, EM tracking, like, like, like we do with, uh, um, with the, with, with the work with MediView and, 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 and others and, and um, we'll just kind of progress from there. I mean, what are your? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of um, a lot of the use cases are already out there. They're just not distributed in IR. Yeah, and, and or they're not even distributed in medicine necessarily. But if you think about, you know, many times in the military they use they use a virtual planning environment for you know an air raid or whatever you know, and they're yeah. kind of walking through the steps. I know as an IR, I sit there when I have when I have complicated cases. I had a recently I had to do this adrenal ablation in a, in a young kid with a, a, a you know, field chromocytoma. Stressing about the case for six months, literally yeah. up at night, thinking through approach, thinking through the imaging. It's yeah. all reconstruct in my head, right? Yeah. But I'm not, I don't have a module that where I could go and enter into the virtual space, right. practice the, the procedure multiple times yeah. of different approaches, take the imaging and say, okay, if I flipped them here, how would you model the lung? Am I going to have to go through the lung? Am I have to go through the liver? Yeah. What other structures am I dodging? That kind of tool would be, I know oh. immediately if I had that tool, I'd use it every oh, yeah. single oh, day, sure. right? And yeah. so you know that, yeah. the, you know that the need is there, right? Yeah. Or yeah. something else that, you know, I do a lot of pain procedures now. Yeah. Obviously, you know, we talked about that, but, but, um, but my ultrasound skills of being able to detect nerves and stuff, I'm just not doing those every day and I haven't done it. So I take these courses, yeah. I teach myself, but you can imagine that eventually where I think we're headed is you put the ultrasound probe on, it's labeling structures. It's yeah. saying this is the best. Right. In fact, it's saying like you're, you seem to be turned a little bit too sagittal or a little bit too, you know. Yeah. And so it's helping guide you as the clinician. And then, you know, you're getting to the point where that is, it's, that's reinforcing your learning that you always, you have externally of the 3D structures. And so right now what it is, is a lot of times we're going to PubMed, looking up a block on a yeah. 2D white piece of paper, <laughs> black and white right. from whenever, oh, yeah. right. and then going and reconstructing that as a 3D in our head. And then going and trying it, and eventually you get really good at it. Yeah, but those first but ten takes, patients don't yeah. benefit from it because you didn't quite get the target or whatever, right. right? And so I think that moving that to where make everybody suddenly uniformly learn the procedure yeah. with two tries because they're working in a virtual environment where everything is that way. Right. That's to me like where we're headed. I think that the initial 
pieces. We look at the other professions to see where they're using it. Obviously, like you said, the ortho and these places are using it for, for registration. I think the image registration piece is gradually being chipped away at. We do have some image registration um, software that has gotten better and is now being used for soft tissue structures like the liver. Yeah. Um, so we use those grids, for example, um, that everyone's aware of in CT oh, right, and right, things yeah. like that. Um, and so you can snap, you can use that and just the, the lettering on that actually allows you to snap uh, to it with with certain software. So oh, you can okay, actually yeah, snap the 3D right onto yeah. it and it's an automatic registration. We've done yeah. some research to show that that's like, you know, that happens in the matter of milliseconds, whereas yeah. manually trying to put an image data set onto a patient right. takes a lot longer, right? right. And I know that the, the the company that you guys have worked with, they have their own fiducials that they allow it to to then map that pre-procedural imaging yeah. to whatever's happening interprocedurally, you know? So I think a lot of the individual pieces are there. It's just, you know, as they say, the future's here. It's just not evenly distributed. Yeah. It's that notion of how are we going to assemble those pieces in IR? And I think it is going to require people being passionate about a given aspect of it. So Raul Opad up at MGH is doing a lot around education and about using this in the educational space to teach procedures, to film procedures. So you've got people working on it from that end to yeah. the interprocedural piece that you guys have worked on. Um, and so I think it's a matter of, it's really much more a matter of getting the entire community engaged in these tools. Yeah. And then and getting the vendors, it. you're going to see them. It's going to be coming from both directions. The yeah. vendors doing, you know, the, like we have our virtual angiography to say, okay, here's all the vessels that map to a tumor, right? The CBCT kind of stuff. Yeah. So we'll see it from that side, but you'll also see it from the startup side of, hey, we have a very specific problem we're trying to solve and let's do that. And then most of those companies end up being acquired. So one of the tools that I've been using a lot is the Mactus. You know, it took me a while to get it into pen, but I love it. I think it's for CT guided stuff. It's very, very useful because it allows you to do out of plane reconstructions on the fly while you're doing a procedure. Immediate, you know, as soon as they started getting any kind of clinical traction, they got bought by GE, right? Yeah, so it's yeah, like, yeah. you'll see that the big vendors, they know that these pieces of software that allow you to do your job and be more efficient and safer, that those are tools that once they, they get uptake, right. I mean, yeah. all the old guys in my practice, they, they, they love, when I first got there, uh, 2009 to Penn, a lot of them would always poo-poo the idea of using ultrasound for accessing a blood vessel, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They right. all use it now. Of course. Of like, course, they, course. You know, they'll say, oh, no, 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 I just, you know. Right. But the reality is, is that in, in all the publications even showed, yes, even for them, they have one in a thousand chance of getting it wrong or whatever. But even for them, it'll eliminate the one in a thousand, yeah. right? Yeah. And for a newbie, man, it's like, you know, one in 10 times you get it wrong, right? Right. So so I think that it'll, it'll, it takes people who are not competent and brings them up to a minimum level of competence. Yeah. And yeah. it takes competent people. You know, for me, I can use that to get to a little tiny node, right. you know, Right. 20 centimeters out of plane, right? Yeah. And an oblique Steep, angle right. and dodge a bunch of critical structures on the way and know exactly from the moment I set the probe on there, this is where I have to go into the skip. This right. one spot. Yeah. That right. gives me my my spot, right? And that's what we hope with with many of the ARVR tools that we're able to develop it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the that's I think that's the big trap of these new technologies. And and you kind of really nailed it with with the ultrasound example. I mean, as, as, as I are, as, uh, cause I, I, I will have like my colleagues will, you know, that, that'll, that'll ask that, you know, even at the meeting, like, you know, I, I, I can do my procedures right now. Like, why, why do I need this? I mean, it's, and it's a fair question. It, it's to me, I kind of almost liken it to like a, you know, like a new wire, like, you know, I could probably get through, you know, a procedure without a glide wire, but God, you know, you get the glide wire and it makes everything better. Yeah. You know, there's, there, 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 there's, there's particular wires that, that you use for, you know, whatever. And it just, it just, it just works or a catheter. Yeah. You, know, you could, you, fi you figure things out with catheter X, but now all of a sudden you have a catheter that's shaped in the right way and it just makes things work better. 
right. you just you don't know what you have until you know it's you try right it there in yeah. front of you. Exactly. And it's not even just one case. It's like you know, it's got to be a few cases and get your, get your feel for it. Yeah. And now it's a, I mean, to your ultrasound example, like uh, uh, tor usually toward the end of our uh, fellowship, I'll always have like my our fellows just kind of palpate and try to do it with you know just just ultra you know just a standard you know kind of the old school way. And it, it takes them a little bit. Oh, yeah. You know, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's I, everybody. I do think that there are going to be skills that, you know, for example, a lot of the old guys can do, um, you know, fluoro guided puncture, whether it be for nephrostomy or whatever. They kind of do the gun sight, line things up. Yeah. You know, yeah. for those of us who grew up in an ultrasound, and they're like, I don't feel comfortable with ultrasound. That's what they'll say. Right. Whereas for me, it's like, dude, I got a picture of my ultrasound. Yeah. I'm seeing myself live, <laughs> guiding myself. Yeah. Why am I going <laughs> to stick the central system, blow right. up with CO2, then yeah. stick a calyx under? <laughs> it could take me forever because. Right. That, that skill set, right? Yeah. Same thing for the guys who are, you know, World War II pilots. They didn't have any kind of system for, they just, they had learned how to drop a bomb at a certain, you know, angle and things like that. And they, it was a heuristic, right? It was like almost like a, a mind-body connection thing with, yeah, with the plane, right? Yeah, they in it, yeah. Whereas you, but, but they can never operate a modern jet with a kind of precision, right? right. The precision piece there is not, you're not going to be able to do that without these kind of tools. And yeah. so there have been cases, I call them my impossible cases, and that's what I did when I brought in navigation system like a Mactus, I said, I don't want to use it for basic stuff. Right. I want to, I want to see whether I can do for myself cases where I'd be like, this is going to be right. And so, you know, something way out of plane where you, and so what I would do is I would use CT. Yeah. Mark on the skin where I thought from my best guess, right. From doing 3D reconstruction, where I'm going to go in yeah. and then go ahead and just drop their little thing on. And it would be like 20 centimeters away. Right. Like yeah. in the way where I thought I was going to go in, I look, it was going to hit something it was, or, it was yeah. gonna, you know, yeah. so that's where I think that, um, these tools until you use them and, and even Solon, who's, you know, obviously been done a lot of ablations. We had him do the same thing. Okay. T show us where you're going to go in. Ah, Mark's where you're going to go in, drop the thing on. No, you're going to end up going right through the lung to get to this dome tumor in the liver, which is a common yeah. problem. That's right. why, that's why we have these complications of pneumothoraces and things because these are tough, tough cases. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so that's right. I, I think that that's, uh, you know, it kind of shows you how you can take a very, very adept user and kind of make him a super user, right. you know, a Superman kind of thing. Um, yeah. And then you can take uh, a basic person, bring him up to speed. Now, they're still going to have to practice. They're still going to have to learn the anatomy. They're still going to have to learn the fundamentals, right? Yeah. But in some ways, it's holding their hand to teach them. Lessons right. that learning curve. Yeah. yeah. Um, Absolutely. Well, I was just, it's interesting. So, and you kind of asked us earlier, Aaron, about uh, academic centers. So obviously the, you know, Cleveland Clinic and Penn, two of the biggest academic centers. And when I was at those places like Cleveland Clinic and, you know, and fellowship and stuff, it's nice to see you have it's cool to do these things with the ar uh, but you also have you know the latest and greatest siemens or ge or whatever imaging system and image fusion and guidance and all these things right so now i'm in practice and i go to some community hospitals where the fluoro is literally 40 or 50 years old they have no cone beam ct in most of these places so when you know steven and, and chuck right now they're talking about some of these really advanced cases and i think that's gonna be really exciting i all, i actually think for a lot of the community irs and general irs prior practice irs the being able to get procedures, do procedures faster, you know, there's procedures that I'm doing right now, a CT guided procedure, I have to walk out of the room every time because we don't have CT fluoro. Right. Um, and it takes me forever. And it's the only CT in the hospital. So they're yelling at me like, hey, we got a stroke coming in or something like that, right? I have this headset on, I put it on and I can get right to it. So, so it's interesting. I think the resources are there in those big academic centers in terms of the development. And that's where these things have come from. And I think that's really great because that's what needs to drive it ultimately until it gets taken over by industry at large or tech at large, um, you know, the big companies. But I think that the some of the impact that it might have on a day-to-day -day could be really huge. And that's what I'm really excited about in the smaller hospitals, in the places where you can really lower get resource things, setting, lower resource yeah, settings. Yeah, exactly. you, have, you have 
the greatest tool, right? The problem with some of these things that are out there right now, image fusion softwares and things like that, is you need to have the latest system in mm -hmm. your room. You have to build a brand new room to even use that system. Whereas I can take a headset, and I kind of said this in our session earlier, to me, the headset is kind of like the smartphone, right? Yeah. It's, you can build an app onto it, right. um, and anybody can kind of iterate on it and grow it. And I think that's something that's really exciting. So the smartphone made, the smartphone made everybody in the world have a computer. Yeah. Kind of the same thing is what I think the headset's going to be doing. Well, that's the other amazing thing is like you could have it, you could be in a rural setting, have it on, do it in a compli complex case and say, call, you yep. know, Stephen Hunt. Yeah. And then he too, he can then see what you're looking at and yeah. be like, well, actually let's, you know, let me help you out here. hundred percent. That's just, pretty amazing. Just to even say that, I mean, one of the, one of the speakers, um, she had, um, she had done some work with Brad Wood before, but she's, she's an PhD student now in, uh, here in Arizona, but basically using iPhone and looking at, okay, you can, you can put the iPhone in front of the patient and have an angle of approach based on, you know, virtual reconstruction of where the tumor is and, and your thing. And that, you know, you looking at the image and placing your needle versus just holding your phone and following the dotted line yeah. with your phone, yeah. right? And it's right. just the phone, right? Yeah. Now you're talking about almost anywhere I go in the world, even the most remote places, everybody's got a smartphone now. Yeah. We all are yeah. walking around with a supercomputer in our pocket. Right. So while I think HoloLens or Magic Leap or any of these things are really, really cool, I think that developing for those platforms, and particularly for the, now you're not talking about having to have a HoloLens in the community hospital. You're just going to pull out your phone, put it in a little baggie like you do when you go surfing. <laughs> And, you know, and, and then be able to, to, to help it, you know, particularly yeah. if it's easy tools for very simple, quick guided things where you can just hold it over. Okay. This is the angle you think about when you're doing a, a percutaneous colostostomy, you're sitting there with the ultrasound and, and trying to find, find the angle ribs. and, all, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, oh, and yeah. you know, and you keep, you spend a couple of minutes doing that. Whereas if you could just flip the phone up and like, that's it, boom, that's the spot. You know, it just, yeah. it just like, yeah. and saving that five minutes yeah. or whatever, and having some confidence because you see the three dimensional structures in the space, it's, yeah. it's hard to, now that's not giving the same degree of virtual reality. But it's the same idea of yeah. being able to do those image mapping and stuff like that. And it's about developing those tools for the low resource setting. And that's where I think it's exciting for the rest of the world because they're not going to have image fusion. They're not going to have the latest, right. greatest exactly. anything, you know? Right, right. Yeah, or even, you know, the glasses, I mean, they will evolve like the iPhone has, oh, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then everybody's got these Tony Stark glasses and they can, Absolutely. you know, yeah, I mean, do, <laughs> you're do amazing things. I mean. I, I'm looking forward to that. And like, I, that was the whole thing is like, when I visited the MediView booth, I got really excited because I, I couldn't imagine, you know, you think about AR, you hear people talking about it, but you don't really get to experience yeah. it um, other than Pokemon Go. <laughs> and that was the first time I really was like, oh, I can see using this, like he was said, in clinical applications, in private practice, improving throughput, improving, you know, access to care for patients, stuff like that. So um, kudos to you guys and like all the research you're doing. And um, the other question I had was, any ch any unexpected challenges? Like we've talked, you guys are talking about the challenges, and and there's people working on those. But anything that you guys were like, wow, I didn't expect that. Um, you know, tr you know, when when developing, uh, MediView or, or in in your lab, at Stephen. Yeah, I mean, so one piece is, you know, how do you negotiate the transition from research to make a commercial product, right? Yeah. So when I was at Stanford, and I think Penn is has the similar rules. It's like the inventor or the of a patent. We'll get a third, the department will get a third, and the university will get a third. And so that's a very yeah. common split for the licensing, right? But that's not a third of a company. That's a third of some patent that's going to get licensed for a company. So for example, for the Google, the patent, the Google went public at $100 billion. The patent was 1%. That's what it ended up being, equity. That equity was, you know, a third of that 1% went to the inventors. So they each got $150 million from it. The Department of Computer Science got $300 million, and the University of uh, got three hundred million. That was a massive patent, right? Yeah. This back middle projection, which turned out to be a, a great company and whatever. But each of those guys was worth twelve and a half billion dollars that day because 
equity in the company, right? So it's one right. thing to build a company. Yeah. It's another thing to have an idea, patent it, and then get it licensed. And those are two very, very different things. You may have people who are passionate enough about a, a topic that they're willing to step out and form a company and get other co-founders and do that. That's a lot more work and yeah. you have a lot more reward, but a lot more risk yeah. than I'm going to develop this technology and then find an industry partner who can maybe take that technology and commercialize it. And yeah. so, um, so those are, that's, that's kind of one of the things I think you think about and it's a, you know, ideas and working out in a research space still doesn't make for a clinical product. And, yeah. and you guys have negotiated that with, with the company that you guys have, have helped, you know, develop the technology on, but there's so many other things, regulatory hurdles, um, yeah. expense of doing animal experiments, things don't work out exactly as you expected, or some other risk that you didn't even think about. Like, for example, you asked about image resolution, yeah. you know, how well does this represent the real space, particularly if you're talking about doing it live in a human right. versus in the planning stage, it's much more about, can I get a better feel for, in the pre-procedural space, can I get a better feel for the, for the you know, practice the, yeah. the, the uh, case or whatever. But when you're talking about now overlaying it onto a human, it's a different thing, right? Yeah. It's another level of right. like yeah, yeah. risk. It as, needs to as be insane. precise. Yeah. Precise, yeah. So, so I think that that's some of the the challenges is just around how do you then move those things into, it's nice to build these things in academia, but they're not going to go anywhere unless you find a clinical partner that can, an industry partner that can translate it clinically. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've, we've been really fortunate um, in, in, in that capacity. Uh, because like as things as things started, um, you know, like even everything with MediView, I kind of stay on the research side of it, so that way I actually can participate and serve as a principal investigator on all the trials. So it's it's been really nice in that, uh, you know, the, the the clinic was able to, or the MediView founders, they actually, you know, once once we actually had some some working technology like in the lab, you know, they 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 saw that they believed in it, um, you know, they were kind of able to pluck it away and and then kind of like work with the uh, work with the clinic to kind of come up with a reasonable licensing strategy to then kind of actually form the company and then form it in, 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 in a way that they're able to actually kind of run yeah and then um you know one of my favorite i mean the the, the metaview team they're it, it's just a group of just incredible people just incredibly smart like technically and and gifted people but i mean outside of that what's really nice is that there's this uh really interesting partnership you know that that I mean, the clinic kind of fosters in, 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 in a lot of their startups, but I mean, I, I could, you know, certainly just speak for this one where, you know, as, as, you know, little pieces of tech get developed, literally, you know, two buildings over, you know, we're able to actually then just kind of bring it right over to the lab. We kind of try it on a phantom and then, you know, it kind of iterates and then we'll kind of bring it back. And there's this kind of back and forth that kind of happens. And then we just kind of can take it. And when we feel we have a reasonable model, we just can kind of run with it and then kind of do it in a, in a you know, kind of work with it in a patient. And that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And that, um, you know, and honestly, I, I, it would be really interesting to see that, I guess, from, from the other side, from the industry side, I mean, cause just as a, as a clinician, that's, that, that's all I know. And, um, I feel it, it really kind of, uh, accelerates the process. Um, having said that though, you know, it's been a really interesting process as far as like the unexpected components, just even as far as like the, the research, just getting things, you know, even off the ground. I mean, uh, you know, we have, a you know, we, I, I, think the world of our we have a really robust uh, uh irb um you know like our, our, our institutional review board for all of our research but um you know even kind of getting things started when we first uh i mean this is going back years but like kind of getting uh the initial research kind of through um you know we just kind of put together a proposal we kind of sent it in and there, like there are a lot of questions that came back and then we kind of revised it and kind of sent it in and it kind of came back and there was this back and forth and then finally which it's something that they don't do but we had asked them to um 
uh, just actually kind of present in person. Yeah. So we rolled it in, we kind of discussed it, they saw it and like all of a sudden there was this moment when they were just like, oh, I get it. Like, yeah. and, and, it, and it moved and we were able to do that. Um, you know, for, for, for us and, 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 you know, kind of getting to your point as far as like the unexpected, uh, unexpected components, I think that's actually going to come in now as, you know, we're kind of going through the regulatory process. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, kind of uh, advancing our research, um, a little bit further, um, or even, you know, on the regulatory side, when, when, when you're looking at the company, like, uh, you know, through some preliminary conversations with the FDA, they've been great because, you know, they, they, they understand that they know that what they don't know about this technology, but they're actually willing to work with a handful of companies to try to kind of, you know, move, move things forward because they, they, they get that this is going to be a part of, of the healthcare space. Yeah. And that's, you know, it, it'll be really interesting to see how this relationship and actually how the process evolves. But I think that's probably going to be the biggest source of the, the, the unexpected kind of twists and turns, I think in the, at least in the short term, to your point. Is, is software the predominant part of it, like MediView, is it mostly software, a little bit of hardware or, or the other way around? Where, yeah. like, what does it fall it's, under bucket wise? You know, it's, device, it's, software, imaging? It's, you know, it kind of falls under the whole, med, the med device. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's a combination of that software and I, like the secret sauce is kind of like how the, the software kind of interplays with the electromagnetic, uh, tracking. Yeah. So, and that's kind of the hardware component, like yeah. this, you know, kind of this piece that kind of just bolts onto any right. table really to kind of allow you to kind of track everything that you're doing in, 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 in a three-dimensional space. And, you know, it's that kind of interplay and, and, and the ability for anything in that space to kind of, uh, actually kind of, you know, register and kind of track in real time or near real time. Yeah. That's, that, 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 that's kind of the important part. And, you know, and then to do that and then to do that accurately and consistently. That's, yeah. you know, that's, uh, that's, uh, it's very similar the to the ablation confirmation stuff exactly. that we see out there, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like castination and those guys. Very, very companies. much so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Garv, you got anything else to add? That was, that yeah. was my last big question. No, for I, these I guys. think, um, I think what they're saying kind of is exactly what it, what it is. The biggest challenge is, you know, we can do research ad nauseum and people, you know, this, this meeting is great for that. You can see all the crazy research and some of it comes to fruition and some of it doesn't. And it's taking that next step. Especially, like I said, now someone on the prior practice side, community side, how do I get it into my hands? Yeah. And where do we, how do we get from there? And it has to come, I think, from the big institutions because that's where the funding is and that's where the research is. And, you know, you could ask why do some of these companies, whether it's MediView or any other company, you know, why do they put up with this in a way? Not put up with it, but why do they wait for IRBs? Why do they, you know, but I think if you ask them from the company's perspective, that's any of these companies that you're talking about. I think the reason that they approach us with these things, whether it's MediViz or Mactus or anything, they're... So they need that input. They want the clinician input and they love it. They actually would rather spend their time working with us in these, in these centers and talking to us about what the problems are because ultimately, especially in medicine, why things take so long to kind of adapt, I think, is, you know, with technology compared to other fields is, is that, you know, getting through human factors testing and IRB testing and regulatory and things like that. Um, but I kind of want to put it to you guys. You guys kind of talked about unexpected challenges. What is the, what is the, challenge that's ultimately going to get us or what's the next thing that's the hurdle to get us to to getting into my hands is it regulatory is it technology is it is it everything adaption what's the time core like what are we talking about next year 2025 i think it's going to be a slow creep of these technologies around it's not it's not a linear it's not going to be like one thing you know that way i don't think it's a i don't think it's a linear road and i don't think it's a linear trajectory because you're looking at a lot of little technologies nipping at the heels whether it be you know, the new new image guidance technologies or ablation confirmation software or those kind of things. And so what you're going to see is that 
as larger vendors get in and kind of buy those up and develop those out, then some of what we do, and it might get superseded. Some of the stuff, ways we, we thought about doing it, somebody else comes up with a more efficient way of doing it. And so there's that creative destruction piece. Um, so uh, I, I think that where you really got to look is where's the clinical need? To me, the clinical need is around safety. If mm-hmm. we can improve safety for our patients, then even if the efficiency piece is not there, if people are going to buy it for the safety reasons, right? If it makes your procedure safer, right? Um, and I would say that, that you know, think about ultrasound as a game-changing technology that way with a- vascular access, right? Right. The speed comes later. Um, speed also, yeah, speed might come later. Initial, it's you're, you're yeah, trying just, to do this, right? Safety, it takes, yeah. it's, not, it's not faster. Um, then I think that um, for people who are trying to uptake new things like bringing pain into your practice, you want something where it's like a learning module. You want, you want learning modules that can very quickly convey that information. So I think in the med ed, ed space, there's going to be a lot of innovation that way. Um, and then I think that um, for these larger companies like Philips that bring in, a, that try to adopt a lot of those technologies to their platforms, I think that that's where we're going to see them rolling out new modules. And so that's to me what's immediately in front of us. On the longer term, what I want to see is that integration then with artificial intelligence, with, you know, we, we know that these things are capable of doing so. Just like right now, a jet kind of says, this is where we would recommend that we shoot, you know, and you can choose to hit yes or no, <laughs> right. yeah. you know. Um, but those kind of automatic guidance systems, that's where I think we are headed with a lot of our space. And eventually, of course, that gets married to some other physical thing like robotics. And now you have t- the automation that's, you know, that's the overall trajectory. How quickly we're going to get there, there's going to be a lot of missteps along the way and there's going to be a lot of technical development necessary. But I think MedEd's big. I think patient, uh, as we talked about, the patient experience and bringing it in. But some IR needs to champion that where they really feel like they want to be the person known for um, enhancing the patient experience and letting them involved in that process. And so hopefully, the real thing is, is hopefully as the ecosystem grows, more people come in in IR, they're going to find some piece of that puzzle that they are passionate about and try to move the ball down the field in that way. Yeah, and that's the beauty of the meeting. I mean, you know, you just you have people that'll come up to you and just kind of talk about you know use cases and yeah. and opportunities like that, and you know there'll just be these aha moments. And yeah, and I mean to to exactly what you said. I mean there'll be kind of fits and starts, and you know somebody will get it, and you know just just who knows? Yeah, it'll be a work in progress. And on that, you know, if there's anybody listening who wants to get involved with these projects or AR in any way, how, how would they, what, what do you recommend? They just reach out to you yeah, guys? Yeah, they or? could just reach out to us. I mean, uh, I mean, I, we're, we're always looking, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I mean, it's, that's how Steve and I got involved. I mean, it was yeah. actually at SIR, you know, where we were just kind of seeing what everybody was doing and, you know, we were kind of two of the few yucks that were doing, you know, it just kind of went from there. As residents, yeah. you know, you go, you go, you go, you look in PubMed, you see who's publishing in the space. Yeah. Um, and I think don't just re- reach out to IRs. Like, you know, if yeah. you have some piece of this that you're really passionate about and psychiatry is doing, for example, a lot of biofeedback, right. PTSD um, stuff related trauma. about you know, trauma, yeah. you know, you know, and in the, in particular in the veterans, I've seen that. And so, um, so I think that reach out to those people. They don't necessarily have to be an IR and then think about how you could adapt that to the IR experience, you know, yeah. or to the IR procedures. Right. Um, because that's where you have this, why do, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. A lot of the fact that we are behind in some way in our profession, even though we own the imaging data, which is kind of bizarre, yeah. right? Yeah. But that allows us to uh, to take tools that are already out there and adapt them for our use. And so I, I'm hoping that people are encouraged that they don't necessarily have to know how to code. And if you are a coder, great. There's all kinds of problems that you can help us solve. Yeah. But if you're not a coder and you're more of an implementer, you want to run clinical trials or you want to do it in the preclinical space, there's all these tools. And so it's a matter of finding a mentor 
whether that be an IR or not an IR. It doesn't Again, it doesn't have to be an IR. Many of the things yeah. that I've learned, I've learned from thoracic surgeons. I've learned from, you know, uh, PM&R or pain, you know, or pain docs, you know. So find some mentor in that space and then take that tool and apply it as you would in some, you know, interventional space. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you also have, you know, you could come to SIR, meet the people, but you can also go to the expo floor, right? That's part of what it is. You can go and meet. There's a lot of people that are hungry, a lot of industry partners out there, whether they're the big dogs or the startups that are hungry for people to adopt the technology, to try it out, to Absolutely. use it, um, even to do something on a weekend and stuff like that. So, I mean, you can, there's a lot of things that you can do to work on that. So yeah. I think reaching out is a big thing, but I mean, this is, we're here with the right people, right? Steve and, and Chuck are the guys who literally put together the first ever session on AR. That's where we're coming from now at SIR, right? Entire session on it. And it was pretty full. So, yeah. Yeah. so it's and growing. I think, there's a lot of, yeah. I think there's a lot of passion there. And I think that um, if you write a grant in the space, it's not just SIR that's interested. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we hear this from from the NIH and stuff. And so we are hiring one of our former postdocs. Um, specifically, this whole track is going to be around integrating this into into our field in IR and and, and also inter, inter, interfacing with the rest of the university. I mean, we, we had this meeting this past weekend at Penn. It's just ending of AR, VR, and healthcare. And this was not just IR. This was yeah, everybody. Across the and we had the CMO of, of Microsoft who was there sitting with our CEO, Kim Mahoney. And saying we are committed to making this, and they want to have Penn Microsoft relationship just like Cleveland Clinic or just yeah. like yeah, you know yeah. um, any of these other places because they know that the technology these are these are the fertile areas to work with. Right. But in the end, we're we are we are some tiny tiny fraction of this big ocean, and there's plenty of room for upstarts in anywhere. Right. You know, just like you got a smartphone. You got it exactly. You've got a, you've got a little phone, dude. You can do this research with your phone. Whether you be, you know, Apple phone or whatever. Yeah. Podcasting the same way. Yeah. <laughs> I just stole from Lex Friedman. Like it's you know, they were doing really really well. And I was like, if we could do that in medicine, right? Nobody That's else awesome. is doing. So well thank you guys so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Always good to see you guys. Thank you. Man. And um thanks guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon with support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson. And Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Ann Dang. Administrative support provided by Jim Lurie-Kennebrew. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Mood. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening. 